All right, well, uh, welcome to the table. Um, my name is Alex Sheets. I am the outreach minister, and today we're going to be in Matthew 9, um, but we're going to get there eventually. Before, before we get to Matthew 9, I, w- I want to take you back, okay? I want to take you back to that magical time called high school, okay? Some of you just graduated, so you know, and you know high school, you're experts in it. Um, okay, you're in high school, third period just ends, um, you grab your backpack, you grab your textbooks, you drop them off at your locker with your friends, and then you go into the favorite period of the day, the lunchroom. Going to go get some lunch, you know what I'm saying? That was my favorite period. Some people say gym, no, it was definitely, definitely lunch was my favorite class in high school. Um, you, guys, you guys remember the lunchroom though? That place, like you walk in and there's just this, this off-colored, like, it's on the walls, it's all different colors, and this nice, like, ceramic on the ground, and these weird tables that no one likes to sit at. You guys know the lunchroom. Bring it back to the lunchroom, okay? You get in line. You're not depressed, because today is Chicken Nugget Tuesday. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you guys know what I'm saying. Okay, so you get, that, you get that, that styrofoam tray, and you get some tots on your, on your tray, and then the lady gets a handful of chicken nuggets, puts it on there, and, and then you, like, you like look at her because you're like, come on. We've been putting in a relationship. You know, you know me. I, come on. So she gives another, another two chicken nuggets, and then you go get the, that chocolate milk that tastes just like cardboard. Um, some of you rich kids, you guys know, you guys don't know it, you had, you had Trumu, okay? You don't, you don't know, guys. I had freaking Highland. Highland chocolate milk. You guys don't know pain like I know it, okay? You get it, you get the Highland chocolate milk, you go and you, uh, you pay for it, and then you come to the scene where you have to find your place to sit, okay? And this is kind of a scary moment. Over to the left, we got like we got the nerds, we got the geeks, the guys that play RuneScape. If you remember the last sermon, um, or like do like Robot Fight Club, those kind of guys. Um, over here, we got like the punks, the emos. They're probably vaping. Who knows what else they're doing over here? In the back, you got the party guys. You got the football players wearing their jerseys. You got it all. Where do you sit? Because where you sit matters. Who you sit with says a lot about you. I'm going to give you about a minute, minute and a half. Talk about where, where kind of, what kind of place did you sit? Who were the people you were sitting with in the lunchroom? And what did that say about you? You got about a minute. All right. Bring it back to me. Bring it back to me. I'm sorry, homeschoolers, you didn't get to experience the, uh, the lunchroom. But you weren't missing much, I promise. I promise. Um, what you guys don't know is the lunchroom has prepared you to understand our text in a, in a, very, in a very easy way. It's almost like a one-to-one correlation. Um, so we have our tables, you have your people you hang out with, and you know the awkwardness of crossing lunch table lines. Okay, you imagine, you imagine one, of the, one of the robot fight club engineers, mech arrow guys, whatever you guys call yourselves now, trying to go sit with uh, the party crowd. It doesn't work. You got your people who you associate with. Ancient Palestine, believe it or not, was actually the same way. There was these rigid classes of people that did not, for the most part, associate with one another, um, especially when it came to eating. Eating was a special thing because who you ate with, just like the lunchroom, showed who you choose to associate with, who you are accepting and who you are accepted by, 
who you are a part of. That's your, your crew. Um, just like it is just like it is now, was it in ancient Palestine? You know, you got the, the shepherds. They, I don't know, they ate with the sheep. Okay, you, you have uh, the working class. They stayed with the working class. You had the royalty, people who were rich and in power. Uh, not many people got to eat with them. And then there's this special, special class that not many of us have experienced. I don't know what kind of weird high school you might have went to, but there was like this religious elite that they did not associate with a lot of the people, but especially with this other class called, they just, it's kind of lumped together, called sinners. We're going to talk about them tonight. Um, that is, plays a very important part. Who you associate with says a lot about what you, who you are and what you're trying to do. Um, turn to Matthew 9 if you aren't already there. Matthew 9. Let me just set the scene for what is going to happen. Matthew 9. Jesus is going to have a lot of conflict with this religious elite. Um, he has it all scattered throughout all the, uh, the chapter. Um, Matthew 9, the first one that happens is he, he heals this guy. Um, but instead of healing the guy, he says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious elite are like, like dude, like, you can't say that. Okay, that's blasphemy. You can't say that. And Jesus is like, oh, okay, well, if, if that's how you're going to play it, then um, boom. Jesus, I don't know what he says, okay. <laughs> Bam, I don't know. I'd be a bad Messiah. Um, and he heals the guy, and he does that because he said, I want you to know, verse 6, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's why he did it. That's why he did the first one and then the second. And then he goes on. He's questioning about fasting. The people, the religious leader are like, like hey, like, like we know like, we know what it means to be, like, to, to follow, like, God. We know what it means to be, like, righteous and pure. And, I don't know, like, look at us. We're the religious elite. And you, you're not doing that. You're not doing any of the things that we know are right. Like, what's the deal? And Jesus is like, well, actually, um, if, if you were to try to do the things that I'm doing, if you were to try to follow the kind of faith that I am implementing, like, it would destroy you. He's like, it's kind of like uh, you don't put old, like new wine into old wineskins. It blow up. Sorry, guys. I'm doing a new thing. And they're not liking that either. And it ends, at the very end, the people are completely divided. Some are saying, like, we have never seen anyone like this ever. This is awesome. And, like, and, the, other, and the religious leader like, this guy's full of crap. So Matthew 9, all this conflict and here is our text today, Matthew 9, verse 9 through 13. Uh, before I read this text for you, I, I want to share, like, this text has been on my mind and on my heart for six years now. Six years. Ever since I first went to college. Um, in fact, I, I really don't think it's an exaggeration to say that my growth in following Christ and who I am trying to be, and how I'm trying to model his life and my life, could probably be summed up from a reflection off this verse. And so I feel especially burdened to get the ideas that are found in this, like this little snippet. I, I'm, I feel especially burdened to try to get this across to you. And you'll find out why here in a second. Matthew 9, verse 9 through 13. It's on the screen if you need it. As Jesus went on from there, 
He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said to him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Kind of simple. Um, a little special thing, like, like we're reading the book of Matthew right now. And here we have Matthew giving his own story. He only gives a paragraph, but I can tell it's probably going to be a little special to him. He goes on. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners. There you go. Nice little summary. Tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Just a little bit of backdrop, just so we're all on the same page. Um, tax collectors, there's really not a modern equivalent of tax collectors. I was trying to find some kind of parallel. The closest thing that I got was like maybe like uh, American, like stealing from like identity theft and like selling it to China or to Russia. I don't know. Um, like, but we'd be like, like, dude, like, yeah, I thought we were on the same page here. Like, you were doing the USA chance with us. Like, we're on the same page, and then you're, you're, you're selling out? Like, what's the deal? Tax collectors, they would extort and rob their own people to give to support the Roman people who were oppressing them. Not very fond. Not very fond of the tax collectors. And then we have just the general statement, we have sinners. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second, but the especially like, what they had in mind when they said sinners was anyone who did not, could not, or had not been like living up to the standard that the religious elite had. So that could be anything. That could be the purity codes. That could be like morality issues. Um, later in Scripture, we find, like, we find uh, Gentiles, people that weren't a part of the inner circle, or um, prostitutes. They're kind of lumped together. Those are the kinds of people that are hanging out with Jesus that come and he associates with them and has dinner with them. And the Pharisees are a little bothered by that. They say, verse 11, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? We're going to talk about that question in a second. On hearing this, Jesus says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. I can't get over one question. And this question has bothered me for six years. Why? Why does Jesus, they ask him, why does your teacher, the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors? Why, Why does he associate with these sinners? And why do they love him? Why is the most holy man in the room go to the farthest away from him and they love him? We're going to talk about that tonight. First thing I want to do is give you Jesus' answer. He already said it, so I'm just going to go over it briefly. He says, I have come to be with the people who need me. And he calls them sick. I know that might bother some of us, but he says, there's certain, the people that I've come for, they're, not, they're, they're missing something, and I'm here to fulfill it. He calls them sick, and he calls himself the doctor. Then he says, I have come to be with sinners and to call them. I have come to associate with them, to accept them, and to call them out of where they are. And then finally, <laughs> he straight up disses the Pharisees. I, I, I need you guys to understand like what, 
kind of diss this was. I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl, but there was a moment in the Super Bowl. You, you, you see that? Okay, some of you are laughing because you know. Um, ask the ones that like know. But this is this was pretty hardcore. Apparently, uh, the guy on the left he does this, and he like he got the ball swatted down, and the guy comes up and he's like getting destroyed, and he goes boom. That was awesome. I was a Chiefs fan, and I still got to say, that was awesome. That is the kind of diss that is happening right here when Jesus says, hey, why don't you go and learn religiously? Why don't you go and learn what it means when I say, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting Hosea 6.6. Why is it such a diss? These people knew Hosea 6.6 from childhood. We don't even go to Hosea. You say, Hosea is like, it's next to Obadiah. Who's Obadiah? I don't know. Zephaniah. Okay, now we're just making stuff up right now. Okay? They knew Hosea 6.6 from their childhood. They have been thinking about it, quoting it, arguing, what does this mean? And Jesus is saying to them, have you not heard of like Hosea 6.6? Because if you would have heard of Hosea 6.6, you would have known that I was supposed to be doing this kind of thing. Hosea 6.6, 6, I'm just going to give you a brief summary. Um, it's God talking to his people. In, his, in the middle of it, you can go look it up later, but he's saying, like, Israel, like, like, your love was so flaky. Like, we had this covenant. We were supposed to be like, like a bride and a bridegroom. And I was faithful to you, but you weren't. You, your, your love was like the morning dew. It left in the middle of the day. Beautiful poetry from God. And in the middle of this, he's saying, I, I, I sent prophets to try and teach you what covenantal love meant. And after all is said and done, he's like, but I desire mercy. I desire mercy for my people and not sacrifice. Jesus used that as a proof. Because if they would have recognized, if they would have meditated a little bit longer, they, would have, they should have been saying, yes, that is the type of person who God is. God wants mercy for everyone. He doesn't want to cast people out and call them sinners, but he wants to go and pursue them. Yes, Hosea 6.6. 6. They should have been affirming him. And that's why Jesus insults them with that. But I want us to feel this. I want us to try and understand what this would have looked like. Um, if this scene had happened in the modern setting, like, who, who would Jesus be associating? Who would we fill in for tax collectors and sinners? What kind of person comes to mind when you say, Jesus has no business associating, associating with that kind of person? That's wrong. Before you answer that, or how you answer that question, hinges on what you think heaven is like. On what kind of place you think heaven's going to be like. Jesus came and he gave stories of heaven. Okay, heaven, I just saw we're on the same page. Heaven is that one place that all of us, that we never really experienced, but we're going to go find out about it someday. Um, the stories of Scripture say that one man came from that one place, and he gave little, little snippets, little stories, little sermonettes as to what it is. And I want to share with you one of my personal favorite, Matthew 22. I'm actually going to tell you the Luke 14 version because it's awesome, guys. It's awesome. Okay? Jesus is talking about heaven. And he says, heaven is like, I feel like I, feel like I can say this. Heaven is like, it's like a rager. Okay? It's like there's going to be this crazy rager that this king's going to throw. It may not work. 
He says banquet. I'm going to say rager. Heaven is like this awesome banquet that this king is going to throw. And he's getting it ready. And the time comes for him to bring his people in. And he tells his servant, like, hey, go, go and bring my boys in. Go and bring my crew, the one that, like, they swear allegiance to me. They're on my side. They owe, they owe fealty to me. Go and bring, go bring them in. And one by one, guys, this is, this is literary gold. If you, I don't know what you believe by the scripture, but even like world history, this is literary gold. Um, they come up with the most flakiest excuses ever. Okay, one guy, I mean, you guys think you're flaky. One guy's like, I'm sorry, sorry, my king. Um, I just got married. My wife, you know. That's all he says. He's like, I just got married. Sorry, I can't come. The next guy is like, sorry, king. Sorry, you know, it's your big day. It's been coming for a long time. Um, I, have, I bought some ox. I got to go take them on a test drive, you know. Like, <laughs> like, what? The best one, though, the best one. I'm not kidding you. This one guy has the audacity to say, um, I'm sorry, my king, I, I, I bought a field. <laughs> That's Luke 14. I bought a field, my king. I can't come to your banquet. It's not, I got to go check on it. I'm not kidding. Luke 14 gives the flakiest excuses known to man. And this king's pretty upset. He's like, okay, if the people that were supposed to be there if my people that were supposed to be there, if they're not going to come, then go find anyone. Go find anyone and bring them. I don't even care. Go find the people who might die if they ever found themselves in a royal wedding. Go find them and bring them here because I am having a banquet and I am going to have it filled. That's what Jesus says heaven's going to be like. And what I want you to notice in this is that Jesus, in Matthew 9, is embodying his own parable. Jesus is going to the people who have never rubbed shoulders with the religious elite, who might die if they ever saw that they were associating with the type of person that he is. He's going to them, just like the wedding banquet, to bring anyone. Why does Jesus associate with sinners? Because that is what heaven's going to be like. He goes and finds them and brings them in. So in our day, who would Christ associate with? Who Christ would associate? How you answer that question, it basically equates to who you think God has no business going after. I don't know what kind of person came to your mind. I don't know if it's the transgenders, people that are that other, that wrong, that societal outcast to you. I don't know if it's the Trump supporters with their big red hats. God has no business going after those people. Because whoever you answer that question, based on Matthew 9, seems to be the very type of person that Jesus is going to associate with. Jesus goes to those who are farthest away from him to bring them to himself. And the people that we cast aside, those are the kind of people that Jesus wants at his lunch table. Speaking of the lunch table, I was really, really lame in high school. I know you guys can hold the jokes. Okay, I, I'm still lame. That was a good one. That was a good joke. I know half of you guys thought it. But I was really lame in high school. Okay, In my lunchroom, this story 
um, came up. I don't know really why I'm sharing with you, um, but I, I was sitting over here, and um, there is this group of guys sitting at the farthest end. You probably know the type of guy that I'm going to be explaining to you, but man, they would do anything. They would say anything. They wouldn't just drop F-bombs. Man, they would throw them. They'd be like, hey, here's an F-bomb for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the F-bomb, you know? Take that. Tuck it away. And I, I had enough. I had enough. So what I did is I went and got a list of fake cuss words. I'm not (laughs) kidding, you guys. I went and made a list, and I made it cussing laminated, okay? And I gave it to these guys here. Just let's look at it a little bit. Um, Holy Moses, that's one of my favorite. Um, Some of these are really bad, but I put them on there. I think we have another, another one, right? Yeah, Barbara Streisand. I don't even know who that is. I don't even know who Barbara Streisand is. And my favorite is cuss. So I got that thing cussing laminated, and I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. It worked. It worked. They were throwing out Barbara Streisands all over the place. It worked. But why I was so lame is because I had a dilemma in my Christian life. There was a dilemma, two mutually opposed directions that I could not figure out how to walk rightly. Anyone who's been in a locker room and has tried to live out the Christian faith, I know you know what I'm saying. On this side over here, I had like my holiness, okay? I believed there was something that was an objective right and wrong. I believed that there's a right way of acting. Um, I wanted to be like, I, don't, I wanted to be a good guy. I wanted to do things right in a way that I could be proud of, my holiness. And on the other side, and I could not figure out how to make these two work together, was my love. I wanted to love everyone. I wanted to respect and to accept everyone for who they are. It does not matter if you look, act, think differently. I was the freaking pajama guy, okay? It doesn't matter to me. I want to accept people for who they are. And I could not figure out how to make my holiness go with my love. And I, like a lot of you in this room, pick one direction. And you make that your thing. I'm just going to be the holiness guy. You know what? I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to stick to my right and wrong. I'm not going to think about different situations. And I don't care what it comes across like. I don't care. I'm going to do me. You do you. And a lot of you guys, you choose this way. I am going to love and accept people. And these guys, these, these douchebags over here, trying to be this moral purity, you know, okay, you take it and you do what you want. I'm going to love and accept people. Both of them are in the Christian life, and it is this dilemma. And I want to give you two questions that we're going to talk about in the afterword when we take a little break. Two questions. The first one is this. Where on this spectrum would you find Jesus? Based on this text, where would you find Jesus? Second question that I want you to ask yourself is this. Holiness and love, why? Why does your teacher associate with sinners, with those that are farthest from him? Take a little bit of a break. We're going to get back together in about five or so minutes. There's bathrooms in the back, probably more cupcakes. I don't know. Um, take a break. At the break, I left you with two questions. 
The first one was, where would Jesus be on the spectrum? We have holiness and, and right living, objective, morality, that everyone kind of agrees that this is really cool. And over on this side, we have love. And it's a dilemma that every Christian experiences when they try to actually live out their faith the places they go. Where would Jesus be on this spectrum? And the other question is why? Why does God associate with those farthest from Him? And I want to talk about that first question. Before I do that, I want to show you a picture. That is my niece, Austin. Austin Lorraine. She is so freaking adorable. I know everyone says this. Everyone says this when they, when they have like, kids, but I'm not even my kid, and she's just adorable. i got another picture for you. That's her right now, you know, the snow's coming. She loves the snow. I think she, her, she's got this, like, intricate little sign language stuff that she does, and she has, like, a word for, like, outside, but it's, like, I think it's this. Like, she just does this. That's, that's all done? Okay, well, she has this one word. I don't pay I'm a bad uncle. Um, <laughs> she has a word for outside. This is, this is my favorite one, though, this next one. Look at that little goofball. Look at her. Isn't she so cute? I, I'm honest. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm kind of scared for Austin, and here's why. So my brother and I, we look just alike, okay? We're like, we're like spitting images. I cannot tell you how many times we've been mistaken for each other. And she looks just like him, okay? Now, I'm not going to make any statements about, like, you know, I'm like, I'm not bad. You know, it works a little bit, you know? I give myself at least, at least a 6 out of 10, okay? <laughs> Have some self-respect, and she looks just like Eric, and I'm scared, okay? Pray for that girl. She's adorable. I'm not saying any statements, but man, pray for that child. Can I share with you an unshared luxury that, that you have that I do not? You have every right to forget about Austin. Every right. It'd be kind of weird if you didn't. Kind of weird. I can't. There is never a time in Austin's life where I can just forget about her, move her out of my life, push her to the edge, and it does not matter. It does not matter what kind of person she ends up being, even if it is radically different. The farthest you can think of, of who I am and who, what I believe, what I believe is right and good and true, she could be the farthest from me, and there is never a time where I get to push her out of my life. That's not how family works. Why does God associate with sinners? I think it's a little bit like that. I think it's a little bit like that. You have a luxury that God does not. You can do something that God can't. It's kind of a cool thought, maybe, I guess. You can push people out of your life. You can try and live with them for a little bit, and it's not working, and you can, you can be done with them. God can't. There is never a time in God's existence and reigning over the world that he says, I am tired, I am tired of these people, I am done with these people, they are too far from me, I'm done with them. There is never a time, in fact, God is the type of person that says Hosea 6.6, that I want mercy. I want mercy for my people. That does not matter how far they go. 
I want this gap between them and me to be, to be bridged. And that is why God will give grace and grace and grace and always be seeking. And it doesn't matter if people hate Him. It does not matter if they've had bitterness or pain and they want nothing to do with anything. They, they tense up when they think about God. Because God is always the type that is having grace for them even to the last day of their life. He is always reaching out. And it's because of that. Because where we, where we see sinners, God sees children. Where we see other that I'm done with, He sees people that He has made in His image, that He has plans for. Plans to make into the type of person that can be proud, that can stand before Him in righteousness. God does not have the luxury to give up on, to give up on family. And everyone, everyone is either his family now or his family to be. That's who God is. So why? No, I'm sorry. So where? Where does Jesus fall in this spectrum for Matthew 9? Jesus is associating with sinners. Okay, we have, remember we have this side. We have holiness. And if you're on this side, you kind of say things like... Uh, um, I, I want to do things right. I want to be the type of person that has integrity. I want justice. I want people to act towards each other, towards God, in ways that are good. We have holiness on this side. And if you're on this side, can I say that you are acting like Jesus? The Scriptures teach us that there was one man, only one man, that came and he did everything right. That there was never a time where you say he did not live up to his, the moral code that he believed in. That he did not act towards other people in ways that was, that, was, that was wicked. There was never a time. So if Jesus was on this spectrum, he would be over here. Far over there. The only one that's ever did it right. And if you were over here, can I just remind you, that Jesus opposed the Pharisees because they were trying to do this, but this side, their holiness, did not lead them to love. I should remind you that Jesus, you cannot out-holy God. Everyone will look at his deeds at the end of the day, look at the mess that all history has been, look at the mess that 2020 has been, will look at his deeds and say, he did it right. You may not like everything, but he did it right. That's what the scriptures teach us. And some of you live on this side. Make this your MO. Love. I, I just I freaking I just want to love. I just want to be accepted. I just want to find a place where I fit in and everyone else that has been rejected my entire, their entire life, there's all this, this divisions based on stupid stuff like money and what you look like, all of that. I just want people to be unified. I just want to love. If that's you on this side, can I say that you are acting like Christ? You are acting, the, the motivations behind what you're doing find their place in Him. Because he, the holiest person in the room, has gone farther than anyone, anyone's willing to go. You stick with your friends, 
Jesus dies for his enemies. You give people grace, he gives them grace upon grace upon grace for their entire life, even if they hate him, even if they don't want nothing to do with him. He made them for life. He made them for goodness. You cannot out-love God. You cannot out-humanitarian God. Humans were his idea. Don't pretend. But Jesus' love, farther than you, sent him back to the love of God. He didn't just love man. He didn't just love people right here and leave them right here and just accept them like everything was cool. No, everyone agrees that some stuff that we do is not cool. His love pushes us towards holiness. It doesn't just leave us there. Where would Jesus be on this spectrum? To Jesus, this spectrum does not exist. Because his love of God drives him towards his love of men. They're made in his image. They're all gonna, he's trying to get all that he can to come to his banquet. It does not matter what they look like. It does not matter what they acted like or what the hurts they've had. He wants them there. His holiness drives him towards his love. And his love is not static. It drives him straight back to holiness. This does not exist with Christ. We believe, the ministry team and I, believe that there are three types of people in this room that we have prayed and prayed that would hear this message. The first type of person, to my Pharisee, or to my Pharisaical friend, um, I just want to say this. For those that, that, that try to follow the rules, try to live their life perfectly, and ask other people to live their life perfectly. One, remember, you're human. <laughs> remember, we're all human. But from this text, from Matthew 9, 9-13, remember that you're sick too. That there is never a time that comes when your holiness gets to isolate you from others. In fact, if your holiness does not drive you the other way, drive you to the farthest people from you, I don't know what you want to call it, but don't call it holiness. God's holiness drove him towards the farthest people. And in light of Hosea 6.6, to apply Hosea 6.6, have learned to have mercy towards people. First one. To the second person. To those kind of on this side that freaking hate being called sick that just hate being called wrong, that just want to find somewhere that they can fit in where people don't judge them all the time. If that's you, person number two, can I say amen? Amen. Christ accepts people. Christ moves towards people where they are. Doesn't have to clean crap up. Don't have to look better. He didn't say, oh, sinners, you have to fix some, fix some stuff. Act right. Act right before I start associating with you. He meets them where they are. Christ accepts you for who you are. But if I could challenge you, his acceptance and his love of you does not leave you in one place. It does not leave you here. So if I could challenge you from Hosea 6.6, 6, 
please learn to have mercy towards God. To have some kind of benefit of the doubt that the ways he's trying, the person he's trying to get you to be, the rules that he's making you follow, they're not arbitrary. They're not for no reason. Please have mercy towards God and give him the benefit of the doubt that what he has in mind is for your best. And if you don't believe it, just give it a shot. Have mercy towards God. To my second person. And finally, to my third person. To those of you in this room, and I know there are many, who feel, we say that they're sick. You hear, you hear being sick, and you agree wholeheartedly. You agree, because you know. You have this feeling in your heart that I have never, never lived up to the standard. This anxiety, this self-hatred. If that's you, Christ loves you. Christ accepts you. Christ accepts you. Why can't you accept yourself? Christ loves you. Can you love yourself? In the words of Hosea 6.6, can you go and learn to have mercy towards yourself? Because Christ does. And to all of us, as the band comes up, to all of us, every single person in this room, Hosea 6.6 is not this verse to apply. Matthew 9 is not this thing to memorize and talk about when it comes up randomly. It is a lifestyle to be lived. Jesus later, in Matthew 12.7, I love this one. It comes up again. He's challenged again by the religious people. And he says, oh, I know why you haven't, you're not getting it yet. Because you have not fully lived out what it means that God has mercy and not sacrifice. So I would challenge you, each one of you, though all of us may be sick, though all of us may not get everything right, would you go and would you learn what it means to embody mercy? Because you were made for mercy you were made for holiness, and you were made for love and acceptance. Would you go on and embody that? Thank you.